Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Havel Commons Church. It's great to see you here this morning. It's a special service for us. Normally, I'm not jumping up here after song number one and doing a little spiel, but I'm going to do a little spiel this morning to kind of orient us to this service and what this day is all going to be about for us. Um, but it's really great to see you here this morning on a cold and chilly November day. This is the final Sunday in our series on Jubilee, our Jubilee series, which has been all about recalibrating ourselves for the common good. If you guys remember back to the first sermons we preached in this series, we kind of talked about the concept of Jubilee, that God designed, God's design for ancient Israel was to have them observe a year of Jubilee every 50 years. It was intended as a hard reset on society. It was intended to recalibrate their hearts and to bring them back into alignment with God's purposes, with God's intent and God's design so that they would be a healthy people, so that they would be able to represent God's presence and kingdom and character to the world and to their neighbors around them. Generations later, after that moment in Israel, Jesus stood up in a synagogue in Galilee, and Jesus said, the year of the Lord's favor has arrived. He was ushering in a more permanent state of jubilee. It's not just something that happens every 50 years. This recalibration was to happen to each of us consistently all the time. And over the past 10 weeks, we've talked about what that recalibration could look like. We've dove, we've dived into, dived, we've dived into several broken parts of our world over and over again every single week. We've talked about racism and patriarchy and privilege and power and wealth and our status and our education. We've talked about repentance and empathy. We've talked about a lot of things over the last 10 weeks. It's been pretty challenging stuff. So this morning, instead of jumping into like another new territory, what we wanted to do was to create space for us to spend time with the territory we've already covered, hence the Jubilee Capstone experience. You see, one of the many risks for us in doing a series like this is that we are blasting through too many hard things all at once, and we can't actually process or think about any of them with any kind of depth. We also might be tempted to distance ourselves from these fractures. Like, this stuff's not very fun to think about, so go to church, hear about something that's uncomfortable, go back home and kind of forget about it. Or we might absolve ourselves of really having to deal with it. If bad things have happened, we're not to blame. I mean, I didn't own slaves. I don't treat women poorly. I don't take resources from refugees. I'm not mean. And all of those statements reflect a mindset that I think we all have, especially here as Americans, because America trains us to think of ourselves as individuals. The grades I get in school, those are my grades, not yours. The money I make, that's my money, not your money. The mistakes I make are mine to deal with. They're not really yours to deal with. I get the credit. I get the blame. We're responsible for our own selves. We're not responsible for each other is the message that we're often subjected to. Yet we know that things are not so simple. We are individuals, yes. We also belong to one another. We belong to those who have gone before us. We belong to those who go beside us. We belong to those who will come after us. We are distinct, but yet we are also connected. And because we're connected, we can experience our brokenness together. And because we're connected, we can experience and participate in our healing as well. So even if we have not specifically or personally committed an act of injustice, we all participate in and benefit from systems rooted in injustice or systems that currently produce injustices. And even when our participation is unintentional, even when the benefits we receive are tangential, we bear responsibility to make things right, to work for the common good. 
It's like we've inherited a broken house. And we can debate about how this house got broken in the first place, but we still have to live in this house. So we still are called to repair the house as it currently exists so that we can live in it and others can live in it well. Thinking this way, thinking corporately, is very biblical. As followers of Christ, we are joined together in one body. Romans 12 says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with the body of Christ. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. I'm part of you. You're part of me. We're part of each other. I cannot truly hear the gospel if I'm not hearing it with you by my side. To name that this morning, we have changed all of the pronouns in all of our songs. So if a song originally used I or it used me, we've actually changed those words to be we or our to lean into our corporate identity this morning as the body of Christ. I'm not supposed to do things on my own. We're supposed to do things together. We're a mess as a group and we make things right as a group. During World War II, the Nazi party took power in Germany and persecuted people they deemed to be inferior. Millions and millions of people, most of them Jewish people, were taken from their homes. They were deprived of their possessions. They were separated from their families and deported to concentration camps. Soldiers yelling, children crying, bodies pressed into rail cars, suitcases abandoned on the side. Over six million Jewish people were killed in those camps. As the horrors of the Holocaust were uncovered, the scale of this tragedy was incomprehensible to most people. It became clear that the subset of German Nazis didn't commit these crimes on their own. The German people, as a whole, allowed this to happen. They either took part directly, or they knew it was happening and didn't do anything to stop it, or they knew something was happening and they didn't ask questions or investigate. And after the war, the German people were humiliated. They were defensive about the crimes that they had committed. They deflected blame. They didn't want to talk about it. They wanted to just move on with life. As time passed, generations, many, not all, but many Germans wanted to understand and acknowledge what had happened and what they had done. In 1996, a German artist named Gunter Demnig, whose father fought for the Nazis, began to illegally place commemorative plaques into the sidewalks in front of homes in a neighborhood in Berlin. And on each plaque was the name of a Jewish person. Here lived Maria Turweil, born in 1910, arrested July 17, 1942, executed May 8, 1943. Officials ordered these plaques removed. We don't want those on our streets. But the workers in charge of removing the plaques refused to comply with the order, and they left the plaques there. And other German cities began to lay their own Stolpersteins, which in English is translated as stumbling stones. Stumbling stones in the sidewalks. All over Germany today, you will stumble across Stolpersteins. So far, over 100,000 of them have been placed. Six million is a number impossible to comprehend, but when you stumble over the name of a person who was your age, who lived in that house, who walked this street, who lived in our neighborhood, then it feels real. The catastrophe happened here 
and happen to people who live right next door, whose kids went to the same school that your kids went to, whose shop at the same markets, who read the same newspapers, who worked at the same stores. In some parts of these towns, Stolper Steins appear in front of almost every building. Three of them here on the sidewalk. Seven of them here in front of this house. Twelve there. And you read the names, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a two-year-old. When these Jews were arrested, when they were taken away to these camps, their German neighbors lined the streets and they watched from their windows and they did nothing. Now, the descendants of these Germans, as they walk the streets in Germany, they stumble over these stones and they remember. They stumble over a stone and they remember. They remember. So this morning... To capstone our journey towards Jubilee, we wanted to do something similar. We wanted to consider and remember the burdens that our people carry. We're each part of so many different groups of people, if you think about it. We're each part of so many groups, overlapping groups. Maybe you're a woman, and that's your group. Maybe you're a member of an indigenous people group, and that's your group. Maybe you're Italian by blood, and that's your group. Maybe you're a middle, upper-class white person, which is a lot of groups put together. Maybe you're a teacher, and that's your group. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're a fifth grader. Maybe you're a survivor. All of these groups, what groups are you part of? What group are you part of this morning? What I want us to do this morning is to pick one group that we're part of, and on behalf of that group, consider some of the ways that your group has caused harm in this world. What harms is your group responsible for? And, or, and, or, consider some of the ways that your group has experienced harm or experienced suffering or loss from others and other groups. We're not going to engrave Stolpersteins, but we do have an activity to complete this morning. Up front, we have this collection of stones, rocks. And in a moment, we're going to invite you to come forward and actually pick up one of these rocks to take a stone back to your seat with you and to write a word or maybe two words on this stone that represents and summarizes what your group has done or that represents and summarizes the wound that your group has experienced a word that communicates the burden that your group feels and carries. A couple examples maybe to help. So I'm a pastor. That's a group that I'm a part of. I'm part of the pastor group. So pastors have sometimes used their positions of power to perpetuate and what I think amounts to spiritual abuse on their congregants and maybe even within their families. So on behalf of all pastors, I might take a stone, and on that stone I might write spiritual abuse. One example. I'm also an oldest child in my family. I'm part of the oldest child group. As an oldest child, I felt a lot of responsibility to take care of my siblings growing up, to take care of my little brothers and my little sister. So as an oldest sibling, I might take a stone and I might write protection on it because I feel responsibility to protect my younger siblings and to keep them safe. That was a burden that I carried 
and that I still carry to this day. I was also part of a second grade group one time. Once upon a time, I was part of a group of second graders. And I was friends with some other cool kids in school, and we were really mean to some of the other kids in our class. And as part of the group of second graders who made fun of and who laughed at others so that we would feel better about ourselves, I might take a stone and write, being mean, on it. I got older and got to seventh grade, and the tables had turned on me. I was part of the seventh grade group, but I was no longer one of the cool kids. I got picked on and made fun of, especially on the school bus. So on behalf of all the other kids who got picked on for being different, I might write, being bullied, on a stone. Because being bullied was a burden that I carried and that we kids who got made fun of carried in seventh grade. So those were just examples of things we could write on stones this morning. The pain inflicted or the pain endured. So I want to be clear, not the identity of the group. Okay, so for example, I'm not writing pastors and then also spiritual abuse. I'm just writing spiritual abuse. So not identifying the group, just the pain inflicted or the pain endured. Also, you might be tempted to write your own name on the stone this morning, but you're not writing this morning as an individual. We're actually writing as representatives of this larger group that we're part of. So even if you haven't personally done this thing, if you have, even if you haven't personally experienced the thing you write down, you're actually writing it down on behalf of a group that you represent. So I want you to feel some freedom here. This is not like a scientific process. There's some like subjectivity to all of this. So you're not going to totally capture the pain of your group on a word on a rock. Um, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but whatever you write down, I just want you to feel encouraged that it's sufficient for this morning and for our purposes. Like whatever word you come up with is sufficient, word or words. Also, I want to note that there might be some things that you feel, but you don't want to write down on your rock. For whatever reason, you feel it, you know it, you experience it, but you don't want to write it down. And that's actually okay, too. You can leave your stone blank. And we will know that your stone represents an unnamed burden. If you want to draw something instead of write something, you can totally draw like a little something on your rock if you want to, and that's amazing, too. Also, I think one last disclaimer. You will not have to talk about your rock or your stone this morning. You don't have to explain it to anybody. You won't be asked to read the words you write down, and I want to make it clear that you're actually not going to take this stone home with you. You're not going to like take it home and like put it on your mantle. Like This is not for you to keep. What's going to happen is you're going to deposit the stones back up here at the front of the church later in the service, and someone else will be taking your rock home with you this morning. I'll explain more details about that later, but I do want you to sort of be aware up front that like you are not keeping your rock. It will be deposited, and somebody else will take your rock with them this morning. That might inform or influence what you write. Collectively, we hope that these stones represent the burdens that we carry before Jesus. Christ knows what we've done and our groups have done. Christ knows what we've endured and what our groups have endured. He carries these burdens with us and he carries these burdens for us and he gives us jubilee and freedom and hope and life in response. This is our act of worship this morning. So here's how it's gonna work. In a moment, we're gonna read a psalm together in our corporate spirit, and the band will play some music, and as they play, consider what group you want to represent. Think about the group that you are part of, the groups you're part of. Which group do you want to represent this morning? Or maybe even more than one. And then when you have that group identified, come up. You're going to grab a stone from the front, and you're going to grab a marker. we got Sharpie markers in here, and we also have some... Um, Crayola washable markers right here. So take whatever marker uh, you would like to take. We actually don't have enough markers for everybody in the whole room, so maybe take one as a family to share. 
um, or like share between the aisles and among the rows because we just only have like 20 or something. Um, and on your rock, you're going to write a word that summarizes something your group has perpetuated or one of the ways your group has suffered. If you want to use both sides, maybe, like one to represent something and one to represent it, totally fine. Um, feel free to do that as well. Kids, youth, you can do this as well, so I want you to feel the freedom to come grab a rock. Parents and guardians, please help your children engage with this activity. You might have to help them identify a group that they're a part of and maybe ask them to think about ways their groups have hurt others, maybe how their group has felt hurt by others or left out by others. So support your children in this activity. Um, like I said, we do have washable markers up front, uh, eight of them. Uh, we would love to not get permanent marker on anything in this room. <laughs> so um, please closely supervise the creativity of your family this morning. Um, and if necessary, please like share the markers amongst each other. Uh, and a couple minutes we'll do that, and then we'll also have a time to come distribute the rocks back up at the front, and maybe at that time it's a good time to like, put the markers back in the little bin so they're not just temptations floating around the room. Um, does that kind of make sense? Cool. Okay, are we ready? To prepare our hearts to encounter the Lord this morning, I want to give us a moment of silence like we typically do before we preach our sermons. So please join me in a moment of reflection and silence and consider, begin to consider the groups that you might represent this morning. Sisters and brothers in Christ, please join me in reading this corporate lament, which is taken this morning from Psalm 79. It should be on the screens here in a second. Please say it together with me. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. As we get ready to sing this next song, if you are comfortable participating in this activity this morning, I invite you to please come forward and to grab a stone and a marker and begin to write down the things that your group carries. Cry aloud, shout, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion, tell my people what's wrong with their lives. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? They act like righteous people who would never abandon the word of God. Why have we fasted, they say and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Why aren't you impressed? Here's why. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. You fast, but you argue and fight over small things. You fast, but you attack those who don't think and act like you. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You go through the motions, bowing your heads like plants, bending in the wind, dressed in clothes for mourning, is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to God? This is the kind of fast I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, lighten the burdens, free the oppressed, 
Cancel the debts. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Clothe those who need it. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. They are your family. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of God will go behind you. You will call God, and God will answer. You will cry for help, and God will say, Here I am. Remove the heavy burden of oppression. Do away with the gossip and finger-pointing. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sun, and God will guide you always. God will satisfy your needs in the emptiest of places, restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters will never fail. Restore, renovate, rebuild the broken in your community. Raise up the old foundations. You will be called repairers of the broken systems, restorers of home and community. As you're able, I invite you to stand. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to, pro to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. As part of our worship this morning, Ken has offered to come forward. So Ken, you can come on forward and to give a testimony about the ways that he has seen God change his life and God's faithfulness in his world. Good morning. Our Jubilee series challenged me to examine whether who I think I am is in harmony with truly living my life as a Christian who trusts and follows Jesus. David's sermon opened my eyes to how superficial answers are a common go-to response to the question, who am I? Thank you, David. Are our identities defined by jobs, careers, economic status, or political affiliation? Are they defined by where we live, went to school, our appearance, or who we're related to? I can no longer define myself in this way. Being a Christian is my core belief. It's changed me. It is the cornerstone and the foundation of who I am. So, who am I? I want to be a kind, compassionate person who respects others and lives a righteous life, not just in word, but also in deed. But I recognize that I am tarnished by sin, 
and I can only be the person I want to be through Christ who strengthens me. For most of my life, I was overly worried about what other people thought of me. I was stuck and in a rut, and I didn't believe that I could change. My stubbornness, my excessive worry, worrying about other people's opinions, and my inflated ego, it hurt my relationship with my first wife, my children, and also my career. While courting Marsha, my world was rocked by her Christian worldview. Her relationship with Jesus and his important role in her life. It changed me. It opened my heart to accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior and to my baptism as a 59-year-old man. I experienced the radical, internal transformation of 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Reflecting on this verse helps me appreciate that when I make a mistake and mess up, God will help me find the way to get back on the right track. When this happens, the Holy Spirit is ready, willing and able to give us the right amount of strength to help us if we open our hearts to him. Jesus has transformed me. He can and he will transform you if you accept him. Our Lord and his love for me, it gave me the strength to turn my life around. Our love and his love for you can give you the strength to turn your lives around. My personal relationship with Jesus has made it possible for me to know a love and a sense of belonging deeper than anything I've ever experienced or even contemplated. That's what God does for us. Knowing Jesus makes it possible for me to recognize biases I didn't know that I have, which enables me to now treat others with more respect and kindness. This enables me to turn to God and accept his help in my struggle to respect others without being mired by their opinions or by my own judgments. This gave me the self-confidence to fall in love and marry Marcia. This has led to better relationships with my children and has reignited my career. God hears our every groan. He loves and he believes in us. Believing in and loving him recalibrated me. In the spirit of this jubilee, I pray for each of us to personally and as a church body to invite him into our hearts, to love him, and to allow him to transform and recalibrate each and every one of us. Amen.
Thanks, Ken. These words are an elaboration in a lot of ways of what we've written on these rocks this morning. The assurance that we have that our Savior can carry what's too heavy for us and change what is broken in us to restore hope to those who despair. Alicia has also offered to pray a prayer for us in the same way that these stones all represent some broken burden that we carry. Alicia has volunteered to share a prayer for a specific group of people um, in our communities that have been hurt and that have suffered. At the end of her prayer, she will invite all of us to join her in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and saying the Lord's Prayer. So please, Alicia, come forward and lead us in this corporate prayer. A prayer for the people who are refugees. For all those who have been displaced from their homes, their lands, their families, and loved ones, their safety and security, Lord, we ask that you would have mercy on them. Provide them comfort and a sense of belonging wherever their weary feet would take them. We pray that justice would prevail for them, but not just a worldly justice, a holy justice that is eternal and overflowing, one that no man or evil thing can thwart, take away, or destroy. For those with the means of welcoming refugees, Lord, we ask that you would open their hearts with compassion and empathy so that they might open whatever resources are available to them and make them available to those in need. Homes, wallets, schedules. Prompt those with privilege, even us, to fulfill your command that requires justice for orphans, widows, and the refugee. For those with even more power and privilege, namely those in positions with status and influence, Lord, we ask that you would soften their hearts and cause their hearts to see refugees as human beings with divine sparks of their own rather than as means to their own worldly ends. For your church, Lord, we pray for an unavoidable awareness of the needs of refugees and all others who are marginalized in society. This world can be so heavy, Lord, and tragedy and heartbreak are abundant. We are weary. As we anticipate the Advent season, grace this weary world with rejoicing. Break forth a new and glorious morn. Remind us again that you came to us as a baby and even as a refugee, fleeing an empire that sought to kill you. Let us, Lord, look into the hearts, eyes, and stories of the refugees around us and, not, and see not just their own divine spark, but also see you looking back at us. Prompt us to move, to protect, to support, to act, and to love. When we look at you, Jesus, we are confronted with your heart for those on the margins of society, and yet so many times we ignore that, harden our hearts to that, or make excuses as to why that part of you is not relevant to our faith life. Help us to remember that whatever we do for the least of these, we do for you. And finally, we together as your people, we join our voices and pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
we've gathered all these rocks together before the Lord, and we admit that, we admit and we believe that Jesus has the power to take all of these burdens, to take all of these sins, to take all of these wounds, all of the ways that people have been hurt or have done hurt. We cannot carry these stones by ourselves. If we tried, we would not get very far with them. Only Jesus has the strength to carry the weight of our sin and shame and pain. Although none of us can carry all of these very far, each of us can carry one of them. So this morning, you will leave with someone else's stone. Even though you will not know whose stone you have, I invite you to ponder the word or words. I invite you to stumble over the word or words. And then pray for what is written and pray for the person who wrote it. And commit to carrying that burden with whoever wrote it so that they know that they are not alone in the weight that they carry. We're going to sing one final song. And as we sing that song, I'm going to pass these two different baskets through the sanctuary, one for this side of the room and one for this side of the room. As the basket comes to you, feel the weight of this burden. Feel its weight. And then take one stone out of this basket. Parents, help your kids. Perhaps take a rock that makes sense for them to take. This stone, this rock, bears the word that someone else wrote. It bears the burden that someone recognized and named. It bears the burden that a group feels and carries. Jesus is right now bringing jubilee, sight to the blind, and freedom to the captive, and good news for all who are poor. So as you carry another person's burden and as someone here carries yours, we together rest on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, our rock and our life. So as we sing this next song, you're invited. Please stand as we sing, build my life and take a rock as it comes to you.